Hello, and welcome to Data Futurology, the podcast where you get the tips, strategies, and lessons learned from top industry leaders in the data science and data analytics space. My name is Felipe Flores. I am your host. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that you are having a wonderful week. In today's episode, we speak with Lasse Rohanian. Lasse is living the dream, in my opinion. Let me tell you why. He is a best-selling author, an international speaker, and expert on artificial intelligence, disruptive technologies, and digital marketing. He is Finnish, so from Finland, but he is based in Spain. He speaks multiple languages as a result. He focuses his work on investigating how companies and societies in general can better adapt to and benefit from artificial intelligence. He's an advisory board member for One Million Bot for Royby. He is an associate professor at a university in Spain, which is called Escuela de Organización Industrial. He is also an international keynote speaker for AI and digital marketing. You may have seen some of his fantastic books on the topic, as in on AI, and also on other topics on Amazon. He's definitely a wealth of knowledge, and it was fantastic to get to speak with him. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Let me know what you think. Here's a conversation with Lasse. Hi, this is Felipe. Today, I'm speaking with Lasse. Lasse, thank you so much for making the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and thank you, Felipe, for inviting me to this podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited to have you on the show. I wanted to kick off by asking you, how did you get started in the space, in the world of data and AI? I'm so curious because you had such an interesting background. How did the curiosity for this space spark for you? Sure. So I have been giving training for companies and universities on how to use digital marketing and social media for a long time. And I think it was back like six years or five years ago when I was writing a book on Facebook and I was checking like what are the most important things that Facebook is putting a lot of money. One of them was virtual reality and the other one was AI. And for me, that was such an interesting thing because... uh, not many people were talking about AI back then. And then after that, I wrote a book about education and how higher education will change due to exponential technologies. And I would say it was there when I really got to understand how huge impact AI will have in every sector and everything we do. But at the same time, there was not enough information, which I think not even today there's like enough information for everybody. But anyhow, that took me to wrote my latest book, which is the book about AI. And the idea was just to share basic things, not that much technical things, but basic things on how every sector in business and every way in in our society, AI will impact us and is already impacting us, but how it will do it in the future and how we could better prepare for this. Outstanding. What do you mean that there, you feel that there isn't enough information about AI? Right. So uh, obviously people who, for example, listen to this podcast, who uh, do courses and so on, they know. But this amount of people is maybe 10% of all the population. The problem with AI is that it's the first technology that people learn from Hollywood movies. So they see these uh, killer robots and terminators, and they think, oh, now I know what AI is. And then they follow this discussion where Elon Musk, who is a great businessman and basically great on everything he does, but basically these comments by Elon Musk saying that, oh, artificial general intelligence is coming in a few years and we should all be really worried. So people become worried and they are not aware 
of everyday things we should know about AI, like how we could use it in, in business, for example, and how we could also be prepared for these ethical things. So the biggest problem is it's not being taught in universities or schools, even though in China it is, and also in some schools in US. But I would say it should be, we should like spread this information much more. And just to give you one example, it should be spread in that way that in the political elections, like one topic would be, hey, how do we build AI that's ethical and transparent? But right now we don't have any of those discussions. And that's really scary because then we might be able to make bad decisions and so on. 100%. And I wanted to ask you about the ethical component that you just mentioned that should be part of the part of the greater discourse. I totally agree with that. What are some of the things that you think should be being discussed more when it comes to AI implications in society and the ethical part? Right. So basically, the idea would be that when our, let's say, in five years or seven years from now, most of our life or, let's say, big part of our life will be run by algorithms, and it's already happening, then we should all know how these algorithms work. So there should be like transparency. We should understand how these decisions are being made. I think right now we have like the first level AI where we kind of like know that it's a technology that we can use for many things. So right now it's been used, for example, in the prisons in the US or the law system to decide if a person or like make predictions, if a person will make any crime again and so on. And many times these algorithms are really biased. They are not perfect. They are just there because they think, oh, this is AI, so it has to be perfect. So now I think we are kind of like starting this second phase of AI where we need to think how we can do these algorithms, how we can use AI correctly. A lot of companies are starting to think how they can use ethical AI where it will be kind of like a AI systems that can really help different situations. Now, in many places, we are using AI just because it can be used. For example, in the US criminal system where AIs are being uh, predicting if the person will make any crime again and so on. And, and those systems are really, really biased and they are not well built and so on. So it's kind of like for me, we can maybe say that it's the first time we make laws in different countries. Many of those laws were not really good. For example, women were not didn't have a right to vote and so on. So I think we are in the same situation and we should be thinking this much more. Very true. So when an algorithm and an AI is making biased decisions, obviously at scale, because that's AI is making decisions for the masses, what do you think are the main or some of the main things that people don't understand about how those decisions are being made that maybe they should understand? Obviously, there's always a, a sense of they want to, and the press demonizes the algorithm. If you're going to take us sort of a little bit under the hood of what happens, what are some of the things that you think people should start to understand about how those decisions are made and things that they should look out for? That's a really good question. And I think the most important thing is that we should involve a lot of different people to this creation and analysis of the correct use of algorithms. For example, a lot of big companies in the US, they use algorithms to hire people. And uh, again, that might be really, really biased process where they have just 
algorithm that, hey, if somebody has is great in these mathematical skills and so on, and it will be a perfect worker or something like that, even though in the future we will need much more, let's say, human skills and so on. So there's already one article about saying that some algorithm was pointing people or giving less score if they had studied humanities or something like this. So anyhow, I think it's taking more time into consideration or considering these things more time and not just taking AI as something that we can like put there and just use it on, on scale, like you said, and really thinking about it because it's really dangerous if we will be living in a society where algorithm is making all the decisions and then we kind of like don't have any control and we cannot say that, hey, was this, that the right decision? And also if the citizens and, and people don't have like way to know if there's no transparency of the algorithms, it will be a really sad society. Definitely. And when the algorithms become biased, where does the bias come from? How does that happen? Right. So basically it should come or it probably comes from the creators of the algorithm. So many times they only represent uh, some portion of the people and they make algorithms as they want. Maybe I'm not 100% sure, but I'm quite sure this kind of situation is happening right, right now in China where China has this state-centric AI, meaning that let's use AI as far as it's good for the state of China. Whatever is good for Chinese government, let's do it. I think it's not really good in long term. And then here where I live in, in Europe, we have a human-centric AI. So we try to think about these things and try to design better algorithms. I would also say that all this takes a lot of time and it's confusing and difficult. And then in the US, they have consumer-centric AI, where again, many times decisions are being made. Even big companies like Facebook and Google make decisions like, uh, or somebody there made decisions that, I don't know, even like in Google search algorithm, it's like, oh, if this website is talking something bad, let's not include it. And so, so they are kind of like in the US, they, Google is deciding what we can read and what we cannot read on Google, which is really bad. Very bad. And what do you see as the main differences between the human-centered AI of Europe and the consumer-centric AI from the US? Right. So there are several differences. One is that I would say until this point, in many cases in US, it's like, oh, now we have this AI, which is a new tool. Let's make as much money as quickly as possible with it and let's use it on scale. And um, because normally most of the things in US are based on consumer consumption. And this is really bad. I would also say that in Silicon Valley and other places, a lot of good US companies are starting to consider this. So we should not generalize. And many are, are using like really transparent way of AI and so on or are starting to use. But the main difference is that AI right now is being used. Google, Facebook and Amazon, they basically do whatever they can in order to create more value to their shareholders using consumers. In Europe, many of these things take time and there's much more like meetings in EU because EU has created like this human-centric AI and they have a lot of guidelines and so on. So the bad thing is that all this takes more time. So it looks like Europe is not doing anything, but in the long run, mm. it's much better because it will help people. And it's I, I think it's a society we want everywhere in the world where in the long run, AI is here to help. It's kind of like a tool that will improve our life. It's not a tool that will just generate more revenue and shareholder value to big companies. 
that is definitely the approach to take. And I think that in the future, we'll be looking to European countries as to how to do AI. Like today, we look to them for so many quality of life approaches that, that the world needs to adopt. That's really good. I wanted to ask you, one of the things I find really interesting, well, one of the many things I find really interesting about your work and your perspectives is the differences that you see between AIs that are focused or maybe focused on an organization and improving value to an organization versus other types of by organization, I mean a business and how AI can improve a business versus how it can improve other types of organizations. Could you tell us a little bit about your views on what different types of organizations can benefit from AI? Many times in the news, we read this news that oh, now China is investing this much in AI and then US is investing this much. So people automatically think that, oh, they will be like the best countries and they are done. So it's not only about like investing money. It's also you have to put a lot of resources, a lot of hours and different experts to work with this. I would argue that the most important task we all have is to start using AI and big data analytics as fast as possible in our society, meaning in our public services such as education, healthcare, environmental things and so on and so forth. And I think this is really crucial. Many times you don't even need to be like a best deep learning expert, but even using like a basic AI algorithms or something and gathering the right data, you could improve people's life tremendously. And I think this is really key that we pay more attention. And also in the political level, like I said in the beginning, this is extremely important because right now many politicians are talking about totally other things, uh, many of them, I don't speak about any specific country, but many times they say, hey, I will improve education, I will improve healthcare. And many times, or let's say most of the times, the only way to improve those sectors are the correct use of data analytics and AI. It's kind of like hiring good data scientists and start working with them. For example, my home uh, city, Helsinki, the capital of Finland, they just mm -hmm. hired a chief data scientist and it's really yes. good. So this is a person and probably he has a big team or some kind of team. And the main thing is to see what kind of data could be used in different ways and helping different people to apply AI in different situations. So I would say again that if we only use or if we only make give a lot of money to private companies, which again, I'm totally for it and I also help a lot of companies, but I, I see this situation where only some companies are using AI a lot. They are creating the algorithms and, and the best AI systems and then all the others are like totally wondering what happened and mm -hmm. we don't have any AI helping our lives. So I, I think that's a really key. And also maybe it has impacted me a lot since I'm from Finland. Finland was one of the first countries to publish their AI strategy in 2007. And interestingly, wow. in that strategy, one of the key things was that Finland wants to be number one in applying AI and data in public services. And they have now started it. And I would say that it looks quite promising. And uh, at the same time, I don't see US government doing much. They are doing something. And then again, China is doing a lot, but it's only to help Chinese government. It's not to help that much Chinese citizens. Obviously, there's some help also for the citizens. But there's, for example, a lot of 
problems in China. Maybe everybody has seen these documentaries where in cities, basically they are watching you all the time. Like even if you build something in your house, in the roof, they can see it from AI cameras will pick it up and see that, hey, that's illegal building that you are doing up there and so on. <laughs> so basically you cannot do anything in China and, and they are, there's this surveillance happening all the time. So interesting. And tell me about the education side. Have you seen the the use and the adoption of AI in education, either from your book or from your experiences in the space since then? I would say it's interesting because education is one of the sectors which is the most important. Like Nelson Mandela says that uh, education is the best way to improve the world quickly. But everything that we do in education, you will see these improvements later. So that's why many times politicians will forget it and so on. But the idea is that we should start using some AI in education and um, some AI assistance right now. Later, maybe 10 years from now or 50 years from now, it's really difficult to predict what will happen, but we'll probably have a lot of like robot tutors helping and so on. One thing I would say that it's extremely important that we will always make the education such a way that there's always this team of human and AI. Because uh, I saw reports that in the U.S. there's already like children or, or whose parents don't have much money. They just are given some like iPads and they are something and they don't have much like human interaction. Whereas children of rich families have really good teaching all the time. And, and this is something we want to avoid. Again, AI should be something that everybody can enjoy. But I would say number one is that we have this team where teaching at its best is when AI and systems are helping and they are giving some kind of output to, for example, teachers saying that, hey, this student needs more help and this one is going really fast and maybe we can give him extra work or something. And this is really important, but we always need that kind of like teacher that many times in the future is changing more to tutor and coach, like giving that motivation. And also schools have really important thing of this social element. You get to know friends and so on. So anyhow, that's one thing. Two is what I said earlier, that when we use these algorithms, they should be transparent. And then when we use data, the data should be in that way that the students are in control about it. Again, I mentioned China. China is doing many things well, but some things not that well. And one of them is using AI cameras, computer vision cameras in many schools in China. And what happens is that AI computers are watching people's eye movement and facial movements all the time. This will give a great dashboard for teachers who want to like give better teaching so they know exactly if a person is tired or angry or happy or whatever. However, what happens is that all this data, again, goes to some server and then families and parents have nothing to do. So later you can use that data in bad situations and so on. So again, the data should be, all the users should have their own data and so on. And I would say that already we can see some examples, for example, chatbots that are helping students. And I would say that everybody who's listening and in some way working with education or universities or schools should consider building even a really simple chatbot that could help students. So there's some cases in UK, US, and where I live in Spain, for example, there's a university called Murcia. They were the first university, I think, to build a chatbot. And that chatbot, for example, I think in one month responded to 35,000 
thousand questions by students. And when this came out, it was really interesting because it was the first time that students could like ask the chatbot something like where is my room and when is the exam? And even they could do this in the middle of the night when they were in the disco nightclubs compared to before when they sent an email and it took like four days for somebody to answer. So this is a kind of AI assistance that we need because then if students are happy, then the education goes further and so on. But yeah, there was many things I mentioned. Number one was this team. Number two, that everybody knows these algorithms and they are transparent and the correct use of ethical use of data. And then we should now use this kind of AI assistance in a form of chatbots. And we can, depending on the learning platform, we could always get like learning big data analytics from the way people are learning online. So interesting. That's great. How long have you been living in Spain for? I've been living in Spain now 18 years. It is quite a lot. Amazing. That's almost as long as I have been in Australia, actually. I've been in Australia 17 years. Yeah. Okay, good. (laughs) Ah, that's excellent. And where in Spain are you living? In a city called Alicante. Great. Oh, man. My wife and I spent five weeks in Spain last year, and we were so impressed, man. It's such a beautiful country. We did not want to leave. It was... uh... It's amazing. It's amazing. We grow all around it. Yeah, really, really great. How did you get to the decision of writing a book about education? Yeah, so since I worked with digital marketing and social media, I was doing a lot of like online courses and webinars. But I also started to collaborate in Spain with many universities and giving them training on how to use, for example, Facebook and video marketing and such things. Because many times these things were not taught on the universities. And then something like a few years Back my university where I used to study in in Helsinki called Haga Helia, they asked if I could give some online courses for them. So now I'm doing that. So basically, I've been giving like online training, online and offline training for a long time as an external collaborator of the universities. Yeah, very nice. And then it was a natural extension to write about oh, the yeah. future of education. Right. So then, then I got this curiosity on how we could like improve it and so on. And I saw all these informs about number one, like how AI is growing, but then also how things like virtual reality can really help education. And also, I would say that that's also really interesting mm. thinking how virtual reality and augmented reality can be then used with AI, when we, how we can use like big data analytics for how people learn, for example, in virtual reality and augmented reality, and how we can get that data from them and help them to learn, learn even more. So yeah, all these things have been always interesting for me. Incredible. And do you think that virtual reality and augmented reality, do you think that they're better suited to certain types of degrees or careers? Or do you think that's something that could be used across the board equally? I would say I'm not that big expert on them. Uh, I don't have that much time to research as I do for AI. Mm. But obviously, they are really good for any visual fields like biology or, or medical things where you can see inside the body of the human being and so on. So they are really good for that. But also, uh, they should be used just to improve the human skills like presentation skills for example you could use ai and see how somebody's presenting or communicating better and even improving things like emotional intelligence which will be really important now as ai is changing the work or the economy and so on so yeah i think they should be used in every situation every career should like have a understanding of it 
it's kind of like same as AI. AI is kind of like thing that it's really good, obviously, if you are studying mathematics or something like that. But every career and every person should know how AI will change the world because that's, like I said in the beginning, that's the biggest challenge we have right now that uh, people are studying and they are kind of like doing their work. They might have this tunnel vision where they're just studying like one thing and not looking what happening, what's happening around because yeah. people have said that, yeah, if you just study five, six, seven years, you will be great at that one thing. However, that one thing will go totally go away thanks to automation and AI in the future. So true. And what was the, the process behind you writing your third book, which was the book on AI? I'm really curious, how did you go about doing that? What was the process like? Quick backstory was that when I was giving uh, lectures to students, both in Finland and in Spain, many times these lectures were about the future of digital marketing and so on. And then I mentioned that let's talk about this thing like AI and how it's changing the world of work and so on. And it was interesting when we talk about AI, every student, like 100% was listening and watching and with a complete engagement. Whereas wow. when we were talking other things, people were like, whatever. So I noticed that AI <laughs> is like something that everybody wants to know, but most, like I said, especially young people, many times, if they are not studying these things, many times what they learn will come from Terminator or Superman or these kind of things, which is not good. Yeah. So that's kind of like gave me. And at the same time, I wanted to learn more. And I didn't find on Amazon like books that were about general things about how things will change thanks to AI. There's a lot of great technical books about AI. But back then, there was not about how the life will change and how it will affect every industry and sector and so on. So anyhow, then I started to write it. And the first, it has like 101 things that will change and impact thanks to AI. And first, I was thinking that I only make it to like 49 things that will change. But then as I was researching more and learning more, it was like all the time I noticed that, oh, it's impacting basically everything. And at the same time, then I saw this, that the impact it has, it's way bigger then we are ready to prepare. Ideal situation of AI to our society and business would be that, you know, if we would know that it's coming, but then we would have like five years to study and prepare, you know, but mm -hmm. now we don't have any, any time. That's why there's so many people who have some kind of company and business and next day it's totally gone because there's some people who are using big data and AI and some kind of tool and they are getting more market share thanks to that and so on. So so the biggest problem is that it's coming so fast that we don't really have time to prepare it. But yeah, that was the one one thing. And, and now it has been published in Spanish. And it's also been, um, or oh, we are just negotiating and writing agreement to publish it in four additional languages. That is excellent, man. Congratulations. Thank very, you. Very, very well done. And out of the 101 things that you covered, how did you structure the book? As I have been giving courses, and also maybe we can say that I've also before this, I've written four books that can all, all be found on Amazon. So I got to, like with each book you want to improve. So I got some kind of idea on how to make the table of content really well. So basically, I wanted to look at first, like how businesses are changing, how different sectors are changing and so on. But then different things like, for example, self-driving cars. It has one chapter because that will be like the number one thing that will change cities. Well, not maybe number one, but really important thing for how cities, because basically cities were built based on cars. First, they built the streets and then buildings and so on. So anyhow, self-driving cars will be huge disruption for cities. And then I just looked at all these most important things and noticed also that the way we work in the future will totally change. So that was one chapter. And for me, that's like the most important chapter 
I would also say that if there's one topic everybody should be studying or learning is that thing that what kind of skills are valuable in the future. Like even if you hate AI and data science or whatever, but you should always be interested on what kind of skills will be valuable in the future because that's so important for all of us. And then at the end of the book, I also put like, I think it's 20 frequently asked questions. So these were questions that students asked me on the classes and people on Twitter and on my email list asked. And uh, some readers have said that what they most like are these frequently asked questions and so on. So yeah, but yeah, that's basically, I wanted to cover a really wide things. So it's not only specific of one thing. And at the same time, like offer a little bit of AI and how it's impacting every sector. Fantastic. And what were some of the things that you covered in the future of work and the skills required? What were some of the key findings or takeaways that that you had in that section? Right. So again, for me, that was the most interesting part, and it's still the most interesting part. And um, maybe it's this thing of how fast this change is happening and how much we should change our educational system. Right now, many, let's say there's a lot of good teaching and learning happening, but many schools are built for making perfect citizens for the 80s. So they're not always the skills that we should be learning. And at the same time, I think in Finland, for example, uh, they talk about this thing that we should have. No, sorry, it was the author Harari talks about this thing that we should have like two different educational systems, one for children and one for adults. So right now in every country, there's like some courses that adults can take, but in the future, it's like mandatory that most of us are learning all the time and it's like part of our life. And the big problem is that is the motivation, like part of the population is like that, but there's another part they don't have the motivation to learn all the time. So we should have like these educational systems for adults and for everybody. And again, just to give you one example, the government of Finland, which is a small country of uh, 5 million people, said that like 1 million Finnish workers should be re-educated, like giving them new skills. So that's a lot. And if you see, for example, in Australia, how big this amount of people would be, it's huge. In Spain, it's huge. And in the US, it's, it's huge. So I think this is the big challenge. At the same time, I'm really positive of all kinds of AI systems that can help us because if we build them the right way, AI can be a great tutor and like a coach that reminds us that, hey, by the way, remember that this week you should study or you should start to study this new thing, which will be valuable in a few years. And at the same time, it's good if that AI kind of like knows about us. It knows that, hey, I know that you are tired or you are busy, but remember to study this. So I I think we can build these kind of systems that give us motivation. But one of the biggest problems will be motivation. Another big will be that these kind of things are not being taught or not being talked in bigger things. You know, podcasts like this, we are talking and some news articles and some courses, but these things should be talked in um, all political debates and all the time. Fantastic. I think that that's such a relevant and crucial frame of mind and vision to have. People need need to be cognizant of the changes that are coming and how they can stay relevant. I think it's, it's definitely the message that needs to be getting out there. That's excellent. You are an international keynote speaker that is in very high demand from many countries around the world. When you go and speak to all these people, what are the main things that people want to hear about? What are the, the main topics that you bring to them? And have you seen that starting to shift in the last couple of years? Yeah. So I would say like this AI and how AI could be used as a tool to make our 
processes or life better and quicker. That's like definitely one thing. And so people want to see like examples of AI. So I will give you example, for example, Argentina, that right now has a lot of problems with their economy and so on. And uh, however, it was interesting. I was there last month and uh, it was interesting to see that the biggest bank, actually, I think two biggest banks, they use an AI-based chatbot on the main website. So when you go to the website, it, it automatically says that, hey, start to talk with the chatbot and chatbot will help you to open account or do this. And that was really interesting for me to see at the same time as most companies are not using AI, they're just like starting to research what it is and so on. But it, for me, it was really, really cool. So uh, yeah, people want to see these kind of examples. And when I was talking with people, many say that, yeah, yeah, I've done courses about how AI will change human resources and I have done this and that course. So definitely AI is something that's like universally start to be used all over the place. And again, like I said, this is kind of like the phase one or the step one where we first use the AI, but then the step two, which we should all be paying more attention is this ethical use of AI. For example, in Europe, many banks are more aware of our data protection law in Europe and how we manage that customer data when people say that, hey, I have this much money and I want to do this, that and the other. And this is something that in South America, for example, is not happening yet. They don't think about data protection and the privacy and those things. They, they first like, let's implement data and let's talk about that later. But anyhow, definitely that's one. And always in Europe, I would say the number one thing people talk is this privacy and how we can use the AI the right way, because so many people are kind of like tired of this way that, for example, Facebook is doing basically, and again, I have been teaching how to use Facebook and so, but right now I want to share this message that Facebook is doing so many things wrong. So one of them is this, how they are using big data and they're basically doing anything just to make more advertising money. So many people in Europe, they are interested on initiatives like my data, which is a way of using data transparently and in a way that the users are in control. And again, in my home country, Finland, the government has agreed to use my data in every AI application they will use, they will use my data. So the citizens are kind of like in charge that they can decide that, hey, I'm now participating in this application or I can take myself away from it. And also I can maybe learn from my own data and so on. So for those who want to learn, it's like a global movement, uh, mydata.org that you can learn more. But I think it's really positive that some governments, Finnish government is one, and I think Japanese government is another one who has also started this. Wow. So through that initiative, people are able to opt in and out of programs that get access to the data and there's transparency on how the data is used. Is that right? Could you tell us a bit more? Again, or everybody can read more on the website because it's kind of like a philosophy or the way of doing things. The basic idea, as I understand it, is that right now how, how we have built internet is that we have these big aggregators like Amazon, Google, and Facebook. And basically the data is in the center and then, oh, the, sorry, the Facebook is in the center and then Facebook gives us all kinds of services like free phone calls and all kinds of things. If we would use my data and when we would use my data, the user and the citizen is in the center and then he or she can decide that hey i will share this data of how i'm learning my learning data 
can be used by this AI application, so it will help my life. And this other AI application, or I will give my data to this other AI application, which will then help me in some kind of health-related issues, and so on and so forth. So the idea is that we all have such a much data, but it's not good if Google knows like everything about us. And to give you an example, I think it's also really dangerous in the US, Google and Amazon are like competing who gets to put more of these virtual assistants in people's home. So obviously, not only the virtual assistants like Alexa and, and Echo, but also they're building like microwaves and basically every machine in people's home would be listening uh-huh. people all the time. And obviously they say that, yeah, yeah, we are doing this really safely and blah, 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 but we can never trust them. And basically they are like analyzing even people's voice and noticing that, hey, I can now hear that your voice is not good and maybe I will I will order you medicine from Amazon and so on. So all this is that our data is being controlled. And the idea there is that you have a lot of power if you can have all the data that everything that people is are doing, you know, that will yes. give these organizations a lot of power. The other way is this my data way where we would be in charge and I would decide if I participate in other things. And I think this is really important and it's something that all governments should be considering so that we can avoid this kind of bad way of using data like Google and Facebook have been doing. That is so interesting. I didn't know about the mydata.org initiative. So is that something that could be used almost like as a data vault, maybe is a, is a term, in the sense that, for example, say I have my address, my physical home address in mydata.org, and then through there, could I give access to, say, the post office, my bank, some of my friends? my utility provider. And then if I change utility provider, I could just change it through mydata.org. Or if I change my address, would it be a matter of changing it in one place? And then that would propagate to the organizations and people that I have given access to? Is that how it works? Yeah, something like that. Again, uh, I would say I'm not the number one expert about that. And and on the website, people can read more. And the idea is Mm. this philosophy and that there's many like systems being built. But yeah, kind of like this thing that you are in charge and you decided that my address can be used for this and this application. So yeah, the idea is that. And in that, I would also say that my own how would I say, hope, is that also we can make it so that these big companies should release at least part of their data to public. And this was an initiative created by one professor in the Oxford University, where he said that, you know, basically data is the new oil, right? And the problem mm-hmm. is that all this oil is with some companies, and we should make them to release part of it so that everybody can could have access to it and build their own applications and businesses using that data. I think that's also really interesting. And we saw one exam- small example of that this mm-hmm. summer when Lyft, the competitor of, of Uber, they released the data, big, big data set. I don't remember what it is, for, the, for example, but it was interesting. You know, they released it and now everybody can use that transport data and we should pressure these companies to do more of that and so on. Because right now the situation is kind of like not really good, right? Because I'll give you one another example. Google and Facebook, for example, they have so much data. They could do amazing educational tools immediately. Yeah. For example, yeah. I'm, I'm also advising one tool or one application where we do like educational robot, which is called Roybi. And in that work, I have noticed that it's really interesting that there's not that many competitors. There are competitors, but not that many. Basically, what we are doing, like Google and Facebook and these companies, they could do one like in one month and it could help people to learn languages and do many things. 
However, they are not doing it because the number one thing is to make people click more ads and so on. So, so it's a bit sad situation, you know, and I think we could use data uh, in better purposes. Definitely. And what does that look like with the company you're working with? So is it Roy B? Yeah, Roy B Robot. Basically, it's like an educational robot for children who are three years and older and who would then learn how to speak first English, but then other languages just by playing around, so to speak. And it's quite interesting. It's also quite small, so it's not as big as maybe you have seen robots like Pepper Robot or something where it's really difficult to take them with you and so on. So the idea is that it's a really small robot that parents can take with them and children can learn and so on. So it's really interesting. Uh, Everybody who wants more information can learn in droibirobot.com. And for me, again, it's interesting because it's in this field that I like where we can use AI to help people and we can use AI in in education, which is something we need more products and services really quickly. Could not agree more. That's fantastic. I wanted to change tact and go into some of the rapid fire questions. The first one is, I'm really curious about this one, actually, for you. With everything that you've done, what are you most proud of that you've done in your career? Let's say, I would say proud of is difficult. I would say grateful, if you allow me to change the question. But I would say just grateful of being able to visit many countries and talk to a lot of people and share valuable information with a lot of people in different continents. I would say that's uh, one of the things I'm most grateful for. Amazing. What challenges or problems are you thinking about at the moment? What's occupying your mind and your time recently? Well, definitely. When we think about in a global scale, it would be that every country would start to work quickly with AI the right way. So the one thing is that you start working with AI and you put like some kind of budget. Without budget, nothing happens. And then the next thing is that you have the right people in place to make sure that that AI is ethical and transparent. If we don't do that, we will have a huge differences between and even geo political problems in the world where some countries have the best AI and they sell it to other countries who have basically nothing. So that's extremely, extremely important. And we should do that quickly. And again, that's, like I said, for our future, that's more more important than if companies are using AI. Then how companies use AI, that's also uh, what I'm doing and working with companies because, again, for many companies who are not using any AI, they are not using any big data analytics, what will happen is that they will lose their business. They will disappear because businesses will be data-driven really soon. And again, that will create too much of like some companies making huge gains and doing great and others are going bankrupt. So all of these things, are, let's say AI is evil in that sense because it's so powerful. So if not everybody is using it, it will make a world totally like few people who have a huge success and then many who have nothing. So therefore, we should do more to avoid that situation really, really quickly. Could not agree more. That's so true. What excites you most about this field? Why do you love it? Again, really good question. And maybe it's this thing that I would say it's the first technology that can be applied in so many areas. If you think about other, and I would say, and has such a positive impact when it's used correctly. So, for example, 
things like digital marketing, it can be applied in many sectors, but the impact it will give is not as good as AI. So maybe that's the what's like most interesting for me is that it's basically you can apply it to everything and the impact can be extremely positive. That is fantastic. I've got a tough question for you, or maybe potentially tough. It's about failure. The question is, how has a failure or apparent failure in the past set you up for greater success later on? Have you had any experiences like that? Right. I I think many. And uh, I try to say to students in the university that the most important thing is to fail and learn. It's really good. So obviously, most of the things is has come from failure. But I guess like one thing that we can say that I'm like different in a way is that I have written now like six books and uh, they have been written, you know, in English and in Spanish. And none of those are my native language. So uh, my native language is Finnish. So interestingly, when I was learning in school English, I was really bad student and I I had to take like extra classes and extra. And it was this thing, oh, Lasse will never learn. So from there, then I failed many times and blah, blah, blah. And then I just got excited of languages. And now I talk five languages. And maybe, like I said, I have written these books, but also I give example AI and other lectures and presentations in uh, three different languages all the time, Spanish, English, and Finnish. So maybe that's like an example. And I would also add that it it took a lot of time. The problem now is that people want like, um, if there's a failure, they want to success the next day or something like that. So sometimes (laughs) it's a process that takes a lot of time. That is fantastic. I'm so glad I asked. That's amazing from going, you know, from struggling with one to learn one new language to then speaking five, doing presentations in three, having books in multiple languages, and also working with a company that's doing language robots. Learning. Oh, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to talk, think about that. Yeah. Yeah, true. Oh, that's really good. What do you see as the future challenges in the AI space? In addition to what I mentioned just a few minutes ago, I would say this thing of how do we make sure that we use ethical and transparent AI and how do we make sure that the shareholder, you know, there's a lot of AI investments and there's a lot of awesome AI tools being built all the time. Many times these startups and companies happen because somebody's investing money. Many times that somebody has is in a big hurry to get the money back, you know, and have a nice return on investment. So the problem there is that we should understand that sometimes AI takes a lot of time to make it right. And like I said, it's understanding this thing that we kind of like started using AI in many places and many places the way we use it is not good because it has bias and many times many things so now we have to think about that we are in the second level of ai or second phase of ai which is this transparent and correct and uh, use of of our private data for example and then i would also add this thing of this coming disruption in the work force i mean um, it's still i mean in this show for example you have a nice discussion with uh, Martin Ford, the author of Rise of the Robots. I really like that mm. session. I think everybody should listen to this. But for example, you mentioned a lot this uh, universal basic income. I'm, I'm also a big proponent of that. I see that so important. And it's interesting that, again, like countries should start testing different universal basic incomes already now. Because if we want to use it like five years from now, even 10 years from now, we should be testing different models and we should be spreading information with everybody about it quicker 
So that's why I also think it's really good that in the U.S. elections, there's one candidate who talks about this, because what then happens is that there are YouTube videos that have like uh, 40 million views, and a lot of people who have never heard this term start studying it and so on. I see this basic universal income as the same thing, for example, as in Europe, we have like healthcare, which is we pay every month something for our healthcare, but it's really good. And it's basically almost like it's not free, but it's almost free. So I see it the same same kind of thing that we should use technology to make sure everybody will have it in the future. But I also know that it will take many, many years and there's so many people who don't understand it. Very true. And I know that the, some of the Scandinavian countries, and I think I think Finland have been doing some trials with universal basic income and have had a, um, success in those early trials. So it's great to see that you guys are leading the charge on this great initiative. Yeah, let me add there that it was in the last government. And the criticism we can give is that it was this test that they made. But the problem, I think, is that they gave like 690 euros in dollars, US dollars. I don't know. That's maybe $700 or something like that every month. Mm -hmm. And in Finland, the cost of living is a bit like higher. So many people said it's not enough. That's why some people said that, uh, yeah, it was great because I was able to start my new business and so on. But others say that, oh, I was not able to do new things and so on and to chase my life. But I think wow. it should be like 1,000 and 1,100 or something like that. In Finland, in this one test, it was too little. But again, like I said, we should be doing like maybe we have to do five different tests before we find the right formula because it's really difficult. There's a lot of political influence and decisions that need to be done. So that's why countries should be doing these tests already and then we find the right formula. Wow, that's interesting. And I remember seeing in, in one of the trials, I think it was in Finland, because I remember that that amount of the euros, they did say that it was it was low compared to the cost of living there. And I saw some examples where people were able to go back into the workforce and take entry level jobs that the payment from their job plus the universal basic income gave them a good standard of living. And while they were in the trial for the universal basic income, they worked really hard to try and get a promotion before or by the time that the universal basic income trial stopped and then they could have transitioned into the workforce through that period with that help. I thought it was a really good way to do it. Do you know if those trials are continuing in Finland or is that something that has stopped uh, right now? Yeah, so that was one trial. It always depends on the government. As far mm -hmm. as I have seen, they haven't said that they would do new one, but I'm quite sure if they're not doing that, they're doing something. Because one thing, again, I like about Finland is that since they did their national AI strategy in 2017, what happened was that every organization and even many politicians are now talking about AI in different levels than in other countries. For example, one of the ministers in AI said that maybe in the future, people will only work like three hours a day and so on, and that maybe they should like create new things, you know, new mechanisms like basic universal incomes or others about to see what's the right way. So obviously, like Finland itself is preparing for this future where people will work less because we have like robotic process automation and other AI technologies that are doing a lot of routine work and we don't need to work that much, you know. So yeah. I think it's good. And again, to highlight that every country should be doing these tests more and more. Could not agree more. I wanted to ask you, during your career, how have you gotten better at prioritizing and choosing what to focus your time on? I'm curious because there's so many things that you work on. There's so many different initiatives. There's um, so many different programs. You work with so many different people. There's the writing as well. How do you choose what to 
prioritize and for how long? That's an interesting question, and I'm also learning about that. I would say number one thing is my mobile phone, which is all always on silent mode. So you cannot call me. You can call me, but I'm not answering. When I see the call, then I call back, you know, when I have a break. And that's one thing. And also getting rid of the social media, um, these notifications is really important because that's also interruption. Mm. Again, I do social media, but I do when I have breaks and so on. And then uh, trying to analyze where you get your information. Like one thing I really like, for example, is podcast like yours, like this one. I try to listen to them when I'm doing, when I'm exercising or traveling. Like that's one thing I learned so much. And then I learn about other guests or authors, and then I can follow them more on YouTube and so on. So I would say podcasts are, are just fantastic. And then YouTube, I think is really interesting nowadays because there's so many AI conferences or talks happening all the time. And many times those are being uploaded to YouTube. So what I have on my YouTube, YouTube also uses AI. So my main YouTube is in such a way that it always gives me the latest AI conference or AI-related thing because I don't search anything else on that browser. When I want to search something else like how to have a healthy living or whatever, I use a different browser. So I have my YouTube optimized. And I have to say that this is something I, I recommend to a lot of people because there's a lot of even documentaries and just great content on YouTube you can find. So I think those are one. And then maybe I would say, well, you were asking like focus, but focus is this thing that can interrupt me. That's the number one thing. And then even finding new things. Another social media tool is Twitter. I use Twitter when I have breaks, but when I use it, I've also optimized it in such a way where it brings me news related to AI or future or some other initiatives, and then I can interact with people. So interestingly, for me to learn new things, for example, Twitter is much more powerful than Facebook or Instagram or anything else, because again, when there's an event happening somewhere, I can follow it immediately. Again, I can learn about new people and so on. So, so yeah, Twitter has been quite good. Outstanding. Last say, this has been so much fun. I have one last question for you. And that is, what is a piece of advice that you would like to leave the listeners with? Okay, so considering what we have been talking, I don't want to repeat myself. Uh, many of those things are important. But I would say that it's trying to keep our human side as much as possible and even make our human side stronger. So meaning that even we use technology, we should go more to nature, we should play more sports, we should be without technology. And we should also like invest in initiatives that will make so that in the future humanity and the human side will be important. Like some people going too much to the, how would I say this, AI side that we do, like everything is in AI and virtual world, which is not really nice. I saw yesterday a document on YouTube of Japanese man who just married like a hologram, like an AI hologram. And that's now his wow. wife. And he spends all day with that thing. And the reason was that this Japanese man had problems with women before. I would say if you have that kind of problems, then you find a good coach or person who can help you. But it's really sad if we have people living inside their own room and just being interactive with AI agents and so on. So that's a sad future. We could use AI for good things, but I would say the most important thing is this thing of promoting and being trying to be more human. Be more human. And in this age of technological increase, it's fantastic. Lasse, 
thank you so much. Thank you for sharing uh, your journey, your perspectives, your learnings, and everything that you share with your audiences at universities in international conferences through your books. This has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for being on the show. Excellent. Thank you, Felipe. I wanted to tell you about the RMIT Online Masters of Data Science Strategy and Leadership. I was one of the industry advisors for this program. It's an online master's program and it covers both data science strategy and leadership and it has also a technical component. Highly, highly recommend it for people wanting to get ahead. With the program, you can gain this advanced strategic leadership and data science capabilities required to influence executive leadership teams and deliver organization-wide solutions. For more information, visit online.rmit.edu. I wanted to tell you about We Are Rubik's, one of Australia's leading pure data consulting companies delivering project outcomes for some of the world's leading brands. Growing rapidly and with offices in Melbourne, Sydney and the US, Rubik's are as serious about analytics as they are about their pinball. True story, they have like 10 pinball machines in their Melbourne head office. If you're interested in joining a passionate and vibrant team who make work fun, head to wearerubix.com and get in touch today. That's wearerubix, all one word, wearerubix.com and get in touch today. That brings this episode to conclusion. Thank you so much for listening. Please find us on datafuturology.com or on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn or Instagram as datafuturology. Also go to datafuturology.com forward slash podcast to find the show notes for this and any other episodes. If you like this episode, it would mean a lot to us if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that it was helpful and valuable for you. Thanks again and see you next time.